0: Listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. I always want to take a moment and just slow down. Life goes so fast. Life goes so fast. And we miss these moments with God because we have something else to do, because we got to keep our schedule. And sometimes we just need to put our schedule in the trash and just spend some time in God's presence. That's what I love about our church is our plan is uh, always plan B. His plan is always plan A. You know, over the past month, in the month of August, uh, I was able to take a break from uh, preparing a message and from speaking uh, every single week. Uh, And that was very tough for me. I've never done that before. I've never taken a break like that before. It was uh, difficult to actually unplug and take some time off. But can I tell you, I'm so thankful for a church that has a culture of health and uh, embracing some time off. I think that's one of the biggest things that keeps people from actually jumping in or getting on the A-team or serving uh, at certain churches is because I think maybe if you've been in church at all, you've probably experienced some burnout uh, in your life. Uh, I remember a time in my life where I was actually, I was working in the ministry and uh, man, I didn't go to church for like, for like three and a half years. Like I didn't sit in church for like three and a half years. You want to talk about unhealthy and burnout, okay? That's what um, we don't want. And so for all of our, uh, our volunteers, that's one thing that we want, we want to practice um, as the lead pastors of our church is to make sure, hey, we're setting an example. It's okay to take some time off, somebody. Everybody know that? Like, you better have a Sabbath worked into your week. We'll, we'll talk about that maybe uh, a different series. You need to take some time off. It's good to stay refreshed. We're here to play the long game. We're not here just to uh, have a short sprint of a good, hey, we had a good five years, and then it all burned up and, uh, you know, went to you know where. But that's what we don't want. We want to play the long game. That We're here, we're impacting generations to come. And in order to do that, we've got to be healthy here and now and taking some strides uh, together. Today, though, we are starting a brand new series called Stand. And we are talking about, this is part one, we're, we're talking about how to stand in a culture that bows. And another way to say that is how do we stand in a culture that uh, demands that we bow? <laughs> All right? uh, I think so much that's happening in our culture right now is if you don't, do what we tell you to do, um, then uh, bad things are going to happen, right? We're going to shut you down, we're going to try to cancel you, uh, the woke mob is going to come after you, whatever it is, Uh, but how do we stand uh, for biblical principles in a world that is saying you need to bow to what we say is the right thing? Uh, This is a very timely, I think, that God put this on my heart for this time specifically because if you look around at what's happening in our world— if we're not careful, culture's agenda, which we're going to talk about today, culture's agenda will bleed into the church and it makes the church weak and it makes the, the capital C I'm talking about just churches in general. It makes the church weak and it makes the church soft on things that are in God's word that are black and white. There are things in here that are crystal clear that are not, well, up for debate or, well, that was 2,000 years ago or, no, there's things in here that stand the test of time. It's actually the only thing that stood the test of time and we need to look to this as our one true thing for so, for the the source of truth in our lives, there's not uh, my truth and your truth. Uh, there is the truth, uh, the way, and the life, and His name is Jesus, and it's right here. Amen, everybody. Come on now. Um, so here's what we're gonna do in, in this in this series. Uh, again, bear with me here. I haven't uh, preached in five weeks now. Okay, so I got a lot of I got a lot built up. So bear with me. I'm gonna try to cover everything on here. Probably and then some, all right. But it's going to be good, I promise. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, the book of Daniel, and so if you're looking to do some homework, if you're looking forward to go a little bit deeper this month, uh, we'll probably go into next month as well. You can start reading through the book of Daniel throughout the week. I promise you, you're going to be a little bit ahead of the game, and you're going to be looking at some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about. Because what happens in the book of Daniel um, is we see that God's people are living in an ungodly culture. They're living in an ungodly culture, and uh, they have to make choices to stand for what is right. And the way that they choose to stand impacts the people around them. In fact, it impacts nations because of how they chose to stand. They weren't just standing to say that we stood, but they actually stood in a very strategic way, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Why do we need to talk about how to stand in a culture that is, um, if we're just going to be honest, is evil? Um, I'm already getting ahead of myself. Here's what I'm going to say. John 17, we see Jesus prays for his disciples. And when Jesus prays for his disciples in John 17, Jesus prays that his disciples would be kept from the world's evil. He doesn't pray that his disciples would be removed from the world. In fact, he says, no, I'm sending them into the world. And he prays to his heavenly father and he says, father, keep the world's evil from getting on them. And so here's what we need to realize. Things have not really changed in our day and age in 2021. We're going to be walking as salt and light in a dark, perverse world. And so we have to understand how do we walk as Jesus prayed for his disciples, so his prayer is for us. How do we walk in a way where the world's evil does not overtake us or we become okay with it overtaking us? Because that's what happens many times. Here's the first thing I'm going to say. If you're taking notes, write this down. The world's culture has an agenda. It has an agenda. Um, This is not a, you'll see as I get into this, this is not a a political speech or anything like that. We're going to look at God's word today and talk about the spiritual realm behind what's happening in culture. And so here's what we see. We see the people of Israel, they are brought into captivity actually by the Babylonian empire. And so the the Babylonians, they come in and they take captive the people of Israel. And you may say, well, why did God allow that to happen? Well, God had actually given Israel chance after chance after chance to repent and to turn their ways back towards him. But because they didn't, um, an enemy was able to come in and take over. And so they're actually in a period of exile, um, the children of Israel are Side note, how many you know so many times we uh, go through life and when bad things happen, we like to look at God and say, God, why did you allow that to happen? God, why did you do that in my life? God, why did you give that to me? God, why did you do that in my marriage? When in reality, um, maybe God's been trying to talk to us uh, and chance, giving us chance after chance after chance to turn our ways back towards him. But because of the stuff that's happening in our life. Sometimes it's just our own stupidity. Can I be real? Like, that's been seasons of my life. God, why did you do this? God, why did you allow this to happen? Well, maybe it's because of something I'm doing. Have I asked that question first before I point the finger at God, right? Um, that's, That's not God's heart. God is a good father who wants good things. However, when I ignore his warnings, I allow bad things to come in. And to uh, impact my life. So here's what happens. The, uh, Babylon would come in and they would pick out the best, the brightest, and the most handsome men out of this uh, uh, whatever country they were taking over. They would handpick them and then they would bring them into the king's courts basically to come and to work directly for the king. And so whenever they would do this, um, they would uh, do a lot of things to make them culturally acceptable, acceptable to uh, Babylon. They would say, hey, we're going to change some things. We're going to change your diet. We're going to change your name. We're going to change a lot of things about you so that you fit with our culture. But we need your help to help us lead the people that we just conquered. And so they want to go in and pick the best and the brightest. And so this is where we're going to pick up in the story. That's Daniel 1, 1 through 6, if you want to read that later. Uh, So the world's culture has an agenda. Culture is not neutral. Neutral. I think many times the church, if we're not careful, we think, uh, uh, well, I mean, everything's innocent and neutral and fine. Culture is not neutral because there's a little g, God, of this world. His name's the devil, it's Satan, and he's got an agenda. And he knows this, if he can impact culture, culture will impact the majority. And if he can impact the majority, then the impact that he's making in culture will again eventually bleed into the church. And the church will become okay with things that are not okay in God's word and in God's will for us. And so there is, there is a part of culture, if not the majority, there's at least a part of culture that is evil because of the potential of influence. And I would say this, well then, Pastor Jim, why are we spending a whole, if it's just a little bit of culture, that might be evil. Why are we spending um, a whole series or a whole month talking about culture? Let me put it to you like this. What if I told you that when you go home today, Um, there is a a teeny, tiny, uh, small carbon monoxide leak in your house. How many of you know carbon monoxide is deadly, right? Everybody know that? Okay, you need to know that for this to work. Uh, (laughs) There's a teeny, tiny leak of carbon monoxide in your house. Now, the majority of the air is fine, right? But there's one area, one room, where there's just a tiny bit in the air. So, you know, just want to give you a heads up, that's all. How many of you would go home and start, I don't smell carbon monoxide. Like I don't, that's probably fine. I don't smell it. I don't sense it. It smells like all the other air. It's just a little bit. It's probably fine. No, over time, that's gonna cause a lot of health issues for you, for your family, for your spouse, for your kids. It's gonna be a lot of issues. But so many times, this is what Christian households do with culture's agenda. We've allowed a little bit a little leak of culture, the evil side of culture that is anti-God's word, to come into my house and to just be fine with it. Well, it's not the big, it's just two percent of the air, right? What's the big deal? Well, over time, that little bit can have a huge impact on my kids, my, the next generation, my family tree, and eventually it will steal what God has for me. This is why in Romans 12 too, he makes it so plain. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. Here's what that means. We should look drastically different than the world, Right? If we look just like the world, if I talk just like the world, if I act just like the world, if my um, marriage is just like the world, then what kind of a light am I to the world? Why would any lost person want what I have when I already have what they have? God has called us to be set apart To be a city on a hill, a light shining in the darkness, that means light and dark are drastically different. That means that I have to be living my life in such a way that I am truly living, loving, and looking like Jesus. I have to realize culture has an agenda. And I will not let it come into my house, into my life, and affect what God has for me. If I don't realize culture has an agenda, I will be okay with the carbon monoxide leak that will eventually lead to death, Um, carbon monoxide, physical death, spiritually, spiritual death. The first way, the first thing that culture does with their agenda is this, culture wants to redefine your identity, this is what I want to spend the most time on today, because this is the most important that you need to hear today. Culture wants to redefine your identity. This is the first thing the enemy always goes after. Because if the enemy can convince you that you are not who God says you are, then he can get you to doubt God. And so here's what would happen. We see this in the book of Daniel with Daniel and his three friends, which we're gonna talk about here in just a second. Here's what happens. They bring them in. They find Daniel. They they find his three friends. They're the brightest. They're the smartest. They're the most handsome. They say, hey, you guys are coming with us to the king's court. We're gonna train you to be leaders in the Babylonian empire. And so here's what they do in Daniel 1.7. Let's pick it up. It says, the chief of staff, uh, we're seven verses into Daniel. And here's already what it's doing. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Step one, we picked them out. First thing after we picked them out is what? We're going to give them a brand new name. Not a name from their culture, a name from Our culture is what the chief of staff does. So Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. I think I pronounced all those correctly if I didn't. Okay, don't, don't get after me. I'm doing my best up here. Here's why this is important. The enemy wants to present you with a position to play that God has not called you to play. He wants to present to you a position to play that God has not called you to play. And if I do it, if I accept that position, if I accept that name, uh, let me just say it plainly, I'm going to get my butt kicked every time, okay? Here's a great example. When I played football in high school, my junior year, I was about 150 pounds, okay? Okay. Not a big kid, all right? 150 pounds, and I went to a private school, so we didn't have much talent to pull from. And so, my junior year, we had a lot of guys that graduated that were a lot bigger than me, and so we had a a hole in um, the outside linebacker position. And this may go over some people's head, but basically, uh, to be a linebacker, you need to have a little bit of muscle, you need to be a little bit bigger because you're gonna be dealing with linemen. And so I got moved, because I had the head knowledge, I got moved to a linebacker position on defense. And so here I am, it's our very first scrimmage, and we're scrimmaging Vianne, and we are there, and I'm, I'm like, okay, man, I'm gonna do it. I got my confidence up. I think I can do this position. I have the head smarts. But I am in a position that I am not equipped to be in, okay? I need to have like 80, not 80, but maybe 30 pounds on me. I need to have some more weight. I need to have some more muscle. I need to have a little bit more skill. Here's what happened. The first down, I am there, On defense, I'm playing outside linebacker, and one of the offensive linemen from the other team, he comes up to block me, and he is 100 pounds more than me, and I got my world rocked, somebody, okay? Like, you know, sometimes when you get hit, or maybe you sneeze too hard, and you see like the little fireflies, you know what I'm talking about? That was it. That was the first play of the scrimmage, and I thought, what am I doing here? Like, I don't, I can't, I'm not supposed to be, I can't do this position all year. We had no one else, though, so I, I had to do it all year, and I got my butt kicked for a whole football season, okay? But that's what, the, exactly what the enemy wants to do to Christians. Hey, you don't belong here, but I'm going to put you there. And if you willingly go, guess what? Every single down, you're going to get pancaked. Every single down, you're going to be seeing those little fireflies, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's going to be bad for you. The enemy wants you and he wants to get you to identify as something else because he knows God's word is true. And God's word says this, Proverbs 23, seven, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If the enemy can get you to identify and to think one way in your heart, he knows that eventually you will believe it. And if you'll believe it, you'll become it. If he can get you to answer to a name that you're not given by God, then he knows you'll eventually start to believe it. So this is why it's so important to teach our kids what God's word says about them. Because early on, the enemy will come and he will say, you're gay. You were born the wrong gender. The enemy will come and he'll say, you're not good enough. The enemy will come and say, you're just going to have to live with this chronic illness for the rest of your life. You're too stupid. You're too fat. You'll never make it. You'll never be a leader. You'll never do what you think you should do. And early on, the enemy comes to give us names. Why? These labels and these names, because if he can get us to think it in here, I will become it. Well, how does it get from a thought to my heart? It's got to stop off at this floor, doesn't it? It's like an elevator. To get from here to here, if it comes out of my mouth, I'll believe it. I'll believe it. So, culture wants to rename you. Daniel and his friends got renamed by the Babylonian culture. Our culture wants to rename you. And so the question is, what name are you choosing to answer to? And that's the empowering thing. You have the choice. Either you will receive the name or you will reject the name. What name are you choosing to answer to? So let's break it down. Let's really get into it here. So let's look at the meaning of these names. So Daniel, we're going to look at Daniel first. Daniel, his name means God is my judge. God is my judge. He was renamed, let's look at it. He was renamed Belteshazzar, Lady Protect the king. He was given a girl's name. <laughs> God is my judge to a girl's name, and we think in 2021 that this spirit of that, that this corrupt spirit of transgenderism or gender uh, confusion or identity that is something brand new. It's not. It's the same old perverted spirit that's been around for thousands of years. Generations come and go. But the spiritual realm is still at work. All it's doing in these people that have had gender confusion, all it is doing is countries or people have given the same spirit a new platform. And because it's given a new platform, now it can corrupt this culture. If we allow it. Lady protect the king. Oh man, what a slap in the face to Daniel. What a slap in the face to Daniel. Imagine that, right? You get a new job a new job, and they'd say, oh, your name's not Dan anymore. Oh, your name's Danielle. What? No, it's not. That's not my name, right? Like, how, how, what a slap in the face. How demoralizing it could be if Daniel chooses to accept this. So the enemy knows if he can get you to question who you are and what you are, he can get you to question God. He wants you to think that God makes mistakes, and one of those mistakes is you. That's the root of of the transgender issue. God makes mistakes, number one. Number two, I was a mistake because I was born the wrong gender. And if my God makes mistakes, why would I serve a God who isn't perfect, who isn't righteous, and who isn't just? Who isn't powerful? Who doesn't obviously know what he's doing because he makes mistakes? Doubt will flood my mind. Let me say this, if you're in here today, Maybe you or someone you know has dealt with this. This message is not here to condemn you. Well, you're just you're an awful Christian and you're you're a bad sinner. That's not it. I'm here to show you the truth of God's word. That what you might believe, I was born wrong or I was born this way, whatever it is that you think in one way, guess what? God has hope for you and he has truth for you and he wants to set you free from that confusion and he wants to put you back on track to his perfect will for your life, which is what? Good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from our heavenly father who has no shifting, no, no changing. He is perfect in everything that he does. And this is what culture will say, well, you were born that way. Well, I was just uh, culture says I'm born this way, so it's who I am. Guess what? If we know God's word, what does God's word say? Be born again, right? He's showing us, man, the world will try to convince me, well, I'm just born this way, this is who I am, this is my personality type, I'm just in this box to play in for the rest of my life. And God's word says, no, I am calling you, you may have been born this way with with whatever, I'm calling you to be born again. All things have been made new, Old things passed away, All things are made brand new. And so though you may have not had hope back here, you've been confused back here, you can have confidence here when you are reborn and you know my word, my word will set you free because it's the truth. It's the only truth that has the power to set you free. Amen? Come on. The world will just take scripture and just twist it just a little. I was born this way. Good news for you. You can be born again. Come on. Nowhere else can you be born again except through here. I got hope for you. You may have been that way, but not anymore in Jesus' name. Let's go. The next, the next one is this. Let me talk through some of these, uh, these names. Hananiah means this. Yahweh has been gracious. Go to the next name for me. I'll go through these quick. Shadrach, I am fearful of God. My God, he is so gracious. And now I am named something to what? I'm afraid. My God is a hard God to please. I'm afraid of him. I'm, I don't want to mess up. I'm condemned by him. Total opposite. Let's go to the next one here. Mishael, who is what God is? How great is our God? No one is second to him. There is no rival to him. Who is what God is? Man, the glorifying of God here. Mishael, I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. Come on, first thing culture will do is attack your identity. First thing it will do. And it will come through a renaming process, whether somebody called you that or whether you called yourself that. Whichever one it is, it's like a name tag. You have a choice. Will I put that name tag on and believe it? Or will I reject that name tag when the enemy tries to give it to me or another person tries to give it to me or my dad tries to give it to me or I try to give it to myself? It's your choice. Let me go to the last one here. Yahweh has helped. Go to the next one. Abednego means slave of Nebo. Nebo was a a god of of the Babylonians. He was a very difficult god to please. He was a tough God. He required an a awful lot from his people, disgusting things from his people. And so here's what we see, total opposites of the two. Yahweh has helped me. I serve a God who is a helper, who is with me, who is for me, versus I am a slave to a God who is incredibly hard to please, who is not even a real God. The culture of Babylon was, to set, was set up to destroy their confidence in their God. In, in Yahweh, the one true God, the best way to do that is by renaming these, these individuals. And it's the same way for us. Why? Because God's word is true, once again, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What am I saying about myself? What am I saying about my spouse? What am I saying about my kids? What am I saying about my boss, my job, my calling? What am I allowing to come out of my mouth? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I'll say it this way. Your marriage, let's talk about marriage for a second. Your marriage will only be as good as the words you are speaking over it. It will only be as good as the words you're speaking over it. Here's what the devil wants to get you to do. The devil wants to get you to say that your spouse is stupid. (laughs) They always make mistakes. They're an idiot. They're lazy. And here's the thing. Can we talk for real? They might be lazy. But what am I saying over them? That doesn't mean I'm living in denial. But I am saying I'm going to speak life. Years ago, my parents went through a pretty rough patch. My dad was battling a lot of what he believed. They faced some tough times. My dad was second-guessing his faith, his walk with Christ, everything. So what did my mom do? She could have said he's a nobody, he's not a good Christian. She could have bashed him over the head, could have. She could have went and talked to all of her friends about how bad her husband's being. She could have done all that. What did she do? She went to God's word and she found scriptures, and then when my dad would fall asleep at night, she would go and she would lay her hand on him, and she would pray verses over him every single night. She had a choice. Her marriage, my family, was going to be as good as the words she was speaking over it because my dad was at a point where he was giving up. I'm out. I'm done with this with this stuff. But my mom said, "No, you're not." She didn't go and bash him up to everybody. She didn't post about it on Facebook. She laid hands on him and believed it and spoke it into existence. And guess what? It saved my family because my mom was willing to speak God's word and reject what the enemy would have put on my family. Am I helping anybody? My marriage, my relationship, what am I saying over my kids? Hmm. Why is this important? Because when you know your name, you know what name to answer to, but the opposite is also true. When you know your name, you know what name not to answer to. When you know your name, you know what name not to answer to. So when the enemy comes and he says that you're not good, that's not true. God's Word says I'm a masterpiece. When the enemy comes and says that you're not beautiful, I'm beautifully and wonderfully made. When the enemy comes and the enemy comes and says, you're gay. You were born the wrong gender. Whatever it might be. what If I know my name according to scripture and what God's called me, I can reject it and I can say, that's not me. The better you know your name, the easier it is to identify what you're being called, whether it's even off a little bit, right? I got people that call me all the time. My last name is pronounced Debel, Debel, Dan Debel. I have people that call me all the time, unknown number, and I answer and it says, hey, we're looking for Mr. Diebel, not here, click, done. <laughs> Why? Because that ain't me. I know when my name is even a little bit off and if you don't know how to pronounce my name, you might not know me very well so we got no business here, okay? That's how we need to approach it with the enemy. He's gonna try to approach you with something and it might just be a little off but if it's a little off, it doesn't align with this, I need to throw it out. I need to get rid of it. That's not me. That's not me. Last thing I'm gonna say when it comes to, it comes to marriage, I'm gonna go quick here. Culture will say this when it comes to our marriages. Culture will tell you that if you're not fighting, then you're not communicating. Have you ever heard that before? But God says, die to yourself and serve your spouse. Our marriages as Christian couples should look drastically different than the marriages of this world. Our divorce rates should not be the same or even comparable. When two Christian believers truly die to themselves and serve one another, they are treating each other as Jesus would treat each other. But the world will tell you, you need to have drama. It's normal. You need to be fighting. It's normal. You need to be going through all of this hell. It's normal. You're learning to live with someone. But God's word only ever talks about unity and it only ever talks about serving your spouse. And it only ever talks about having the fruit of the spirit, which is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? Self-control. Read that passage this week. The opposite is in there. The works of the flesh, which are what? Fits of rage. Ah, just normal. I'm born with a, uh, you know, with a, with a short temper, with a short fuse. Time to be born again. I'm not talking about if you're in an abusive relationship. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you are two committed believers living together. Don't let the enemy, don't believe the lie of the enemy that you need to be constantly fighting and constantly in drama. That's baloney because that ain't nowhere in here. Amen? You can have peace in your household. Here we go. Let's continue on. Culture wants you to to compromise your biblical standards. Culture wants you to compromise your biblical standards. So here's what happened. We see Daniel, we see these other three guys, they come together, they give them the new names and then they say, hey, we're bringing you here. Now you must eat from the king's table. You're gonna eat the food that's provided. You're gonna drink the wine and the drink that's provided and that's just all the food that's accessible to you. Here's the issue with that. All of the stuff that was on the king's table was offered to foreign gods, False gods, gods not of, of Daniel uh, and his friends. It was not offered to the one true God. And so for Daniel and his friends, this was all unclean food. It would defile them. And so here we see it in Daniel 1.8. It says, but Daniel was determined. Everyone say to me, say determined. Come on, say it like I mean, determined, determined. Not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. So there will be compromise that we're invited to But how we respond to it is a big deal. How we respond to the compromise is a huge deal. What was the first thing? Daniel was determined. The question is, am I determined not to let culture compromise me or defile me? Am I determined Sometimes we're not. We're not even aware of it. Sometimes we talk like culture, embrace culture, are okay with the, the evilness of culture, and we just walk on. But am I determined to live this out rather than to live acceptable to the world? That's the question. Daniel was determined. And by doing so, how did he respond? He, he asked the chief of staff for permission. He didn't get on Facebook and just start blasting, this is what's going on. No, he asked for permission. He was respectful. He was respectful with how he handled the compromise. Let's look at it. Daniel sought permission in Daniel 1, verse 9. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. I wonder why. God had given him, an evil person, respect and affection. Why? Because of how he approached it, he asked for permission. He didn't come in and say, no, we ain't doing that and walk off and be all angry. No, he said, I'm going to approach this the right way. Let's continue. But he responded, I'm afraid. The chief of staff said, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered you to eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. So Daniel had favor with the chief of staff because how he handled the situation. Most decisions, we need to hear this, most decisions that come out of culture are made by fear. Not everyone in culture is evil. I'm not saying everyone that's not a believer is some awful, evil person. That's not it. Many decisions, many, most of culture, honestly, is not evil. The people in it are just afraid. They're not evil. They're just afraid. They're afraid of the woke mob coming after them. They're afraid of getting canceled. They're afraid of stepping on anyone's toes. They're afraid of offending someone. And because of that, they will try to treat you and me a certain way because of fear of others just like they did with Daniel and his friends. I am afraid I will be beheaded. This is where a lot of people have lived their life the past year. I'm afraid of what will happen to my business. I'm afraid of what will happen to me if I stand up for what I believe in. But guess what? Daniel shows us, whenever I stand up for what I believe in, God had given the chief of staff both respect. God will work miraculously on your behalf to give you favor when you need favor the most. Faith projects a future with God in the middle of it. Fear projects a future absent of God's presence. So when I operate in fear and I allow someone who's operating in fear to control my life, I'm letting fear give me a future that has, does not have God in the middle of it. Let's read the rest of this though. Daniel 1 starting in verse 12. It says, please, he says, here we go again, please and thank you go a long way. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Daniel, you're a better man than I. (laughs) Vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables, instead of the food and the wine provided for others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude and understanding, every aspect of literature and wisdom. Man, for every aptitude. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was complete, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, And no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom. (sighs) Culture will try to get you to compromise your biblical standards. But here's what Daniel shows us. When we choose to honor God and stand for his word and for his truth, God will cause you and me to stand out in the culture. When I stand for God, he will cause me to stand out. And guess what? No matter what situation I'm in, no matter how corrupt my boss may be, no matter what's going on in my life, they will find me 10 times more capable than anyone else. Why? Because I honored God. Supernatural favor. Here's the last thing, I'll finish with this. Culture will always create a confrontation. Culture will always create a confrontation. When we face confrontation, we, we're gonna have to choose to stand. But how we stand is ex- extremely important because there's two ditches that most Christians fall into. The first one is this, the first ditch is, uh, I'm right and you're wrong, so you can just go to hell. Go on Facebook, that's normally what you see, right? I'm right, you're wrong, Basically, you can just go to hell. All truth without any love, without any grace. Truth by itself will actually push people to hell. Can I say that again? Truth by itself will actually push people to hell. That's why Jesus, that's why Jesus is not just truth by itself. I'll show you that in a second. The second ditch is this. It's all good grace covers it all. Grace has got it all. Many young Christians, they think they can do whatever they want and God's grace will cover it all. But the issue is, God's grace is bigger than we could ever imagine. That's true. But the issue is, they are knowingly, willingly living in sin. And that's where we cross a line. When I know his word, but I still choose culture in the world over his word. When I know his word, but I choose to obey what culture says is okay versus obeying his word. That's where we have issues with grace. Jesus, how did he handle it? He was grace and truth, love and truth. Let me show you, John 1. In the Word, capital W, that's Jesus. Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Everyone in here, if you're a believer, you, you lean more to one side or the other. You lean more to one side or the other. Ah, more just, this is what it says. If you don't do it, you're going to hell. Ah, you're all right. I'm over here. You're all right. You're fine. We'll get it worked out but God's calling us to be like Jesus in the middle. With how I handle confrontation, when I work with someone who is far from God and they bring an issue to me, how do I handle the confrontation? When someone I love is dealing with something that culture is putting on them, how do I handle the confrontation? When my kids bring an issue to me and they're confused about their gender, maybe they're gay, they're not feeling good enough, whatever it is, how big or small or extreme, How do I handle the confrontation? All truth, all grace, neither one of those is Jesus. He's right here in the middle. So let's look at it. Grace says you're welcome here because we love you. But truth says, let's not stay here though. Let's not stay where we're at. Let's grow up a little. This is the story of Jesus whenever... The religious leaders bring this woman who's caught in the act of adultery. The woman's caught in the act of adultery. Where's the guy at? We don't know. Why were the religious leaders there? We don't know. <laughs> Something fishy's going on here. Anyway, um, she was caught in the act of adultery. Somehow she's the only one that's in trouble. They bring her to Jesus and they, they throw her at Jesus' feet, right in the dirt. They say, Jesus, here's the woman. She was caught in the act of adultery. The law says that she should be stoned, she should be put to death. She deserves to die because of what she's done. She deserves to be put to death because of what she's done. Jesus, what do you say? Jesus bends down and he writes in the dirt. They keep, they keep pushing. She deserves to die, Jesus. There's no denying she was caught in the act. She deserves the death. <sighs> Jesus stands up and he says, let the, let the one of you that has no sin or never sinned throw the first stone. If we're going to do it, let's do it. But how many of you have it messed up? How many of you have been completely sinless? Goes back down, continues writing in the dirt. And one by one, the accusers leave, oldest to the youngest. And we pick it up in verse 10 right here. And this was Jesus' response. And when Jesus had raised himself up and he saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you see the two? Grace, I don't condemn you. You were caught, you deserve to die, but I don't condemn you. I'll die for you. I'll take the death you should have gotten. But, Go and sin no more. Jesus didn't say, neither do I condemn you. Go and keep on living your miserable, sinful life. We'll figure it out later. Let's let grace cover it later. No. Grace says, I love you dearly. Truth says, I have something that will change you drastically. But without truth, there is no salvation. Without truth, there is no hope and there is no freedom. Everyone is welcome here at Abide Church. Everyone, they're welcome here because that's grace. However, you're welcome here with grace and truth. When you come, no matter what you're dealing with, here's what we ask. When you come here to Abide Church, we're not gonna ask you to bow your knee to whatever culture says is okay. We're gonna ask you to submit yourself to the authority of this book and this book alone. Not Pastor Dan's opinion of this book, this book in this book alone. That's why we give you the note-taking cards. Take it home, look up these verses for yourself. See what God's word says. It's not Dan, Pastor Dan's interpretation. This will set you free, I will not. Jesus will set you free. I will not. You're welcome here. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you've faced, no matter what you've done in your life, you're welcome here. But we will bow our knee only to the one true God, to Jesus alone and to his word. Here's the reflection questions. I'll end with this. What name am I answering to that God hasn't called me? He doesn't call me. What lie have you been believing? Culture's put on you, But that doesn't align with God's word. Number two is this. How have I handled confrontation with culture? Am I more on the truth? Am I more on the grace? Have I found a good balance in the middle? Get in the middle. The last one is this The action step is to create a daily confession. If you don't have one, you can Google it. Kids are getting wild over there. I love it. I love it. Create a daily confession. You need to be speaking life over your life. This is life, okay? Not a self-help you know confession, okay? <laughs> speak scripture. Turn the scripture into a confession and speak it every single day. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that um, you've given us the only foundation that is time-tested, that is storm-proof, that will never fail, the rock-solid foundation of your word. We choose to stand on it as we go through this series, Lord, as we look to your word, we thank you that you give us the boldness to stand when it is uncomfortable to stand. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.